Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Hey, give the Lord a hand for what's going on in Ukraine. Man, that was from our partner church in Kiev, Ukraine. And thanks to your generosity. And, you know, we just talked about living generously. Thanks to your generosity, we're able to do so much help and support for the work that's going on over there. It's so fantastic. I think that guy had a wig on. I don't actually know who that was. But I'm going to tell you, the Ukrainians have so much fun. They, have, they love to have fun like that. It is so good. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the ministry there. But when you give, you know, you're helping to support work that's even globally. And I mentioned last week, how many of you guys went to Pie in the Sky? Anybody go to Pie in the Sky? Oh, great. I, there was so many people there yesterday from our church. It was packed. I mean, I don't know how many, but there had to be a couple thousand people at the air hangar right here in Venice, Venice, Venice Florida. And... Uh, <laughs> It was so great. We had such a great time. And uh, Agape Flights, who flies out to over 275 missionaries, they keep 275 missionaries in Central uh, Caribbean islands, in Cuba, in Haiti, and they just do an amazing, amazing work. Uh, That's led by Alan Spear, the CEO. He's one of our neighbors right over here across the street from the church, and they just do amazing work. When you give, you're giving to things like that. In fact, we were one of their top sponsors for that event, and they presented all of you guys. This is your award for our church for what uh, what you guys have given and what you guys have done for Agape and supporting missionaries. Uh, I get emotional when I think about the work that's going on there and just the, and I get emotional thinking about your all's generosity. Well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Which one do you want first? Uh, yeah, that's what I always say. I would say, give me the good news first, you know, but it's like the guy that borrowed my truck the other day, you know, he says, hey, he called me because I got good news and I got bad news. I said, give me the good news. He said, well, the good news is your airbag's deployed. (laughs) All right. We've got good news and bad news. That was the report from the 12 spies who explored the land of Canaan. They explored this land for 40 days for Moses. Here's a little backstory how we got to this point. God had promised the Israelites that they would inherit the land of our fathers, their fathers. The only problem was is that it was already inhabited by a godless group of barbarians that they called the Canaanites. So Moses sent 12 spies, one from each tribe of Israel, sent 12 spies to go check out the land that God had promised that would be theirs. Now, if we back up even further a little bit in the history of the Old Testament, history of the Israelites, you'll see that God had rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt with just miracle after miracle after miracle. God helped them escape. First of all, there was the miracles of the plagues that uh, humbled Pharaoh and allowed him to let the people go. And then, but as they were leaving, they changed their mind and started chasing after him. And God helped them escape through the Red Sea with a miracle. Just when it seemed like that they were hemmed in or trapped against the sea, God divided the waters and the seabed instantly dried out. It was an incredible miracle and people walked across. When the Egyptians tried to follow suit, the water rushed in and destroyed the entire evil army. The whole experience was just a miracle fest of the Israelites getting to this point before they went for the 12 spies. I mean, after they escaped, they ate miracle food. They, they, they drank miracle water. They followed a miracle cloud right to the place where they heard this news. I've got good news and I've got bad news. 
The good news was, when these spies came back, the good news was that the land that God had promised them was absolutely amazing land. It was so fantastic. In fact, the Bible says it was so fertile that it was described as a land flowing with milk and honey. And in fact, there was an account that one of the guys, one of the spies came back, Caleb or Joshua, I believe, says, we saw one cluster of grapes that was so huge that it took two men to carry them on a pole stretched between them. And he goes, that was the good news. The bad news is that the cities that are in the land already are well fortified. And the people that are inhabiting the cities right now, they are supersized. They are supersized people. And the spies reported, we even saw descendants of Anak. Anak was a giant of a man. And this would be the Goliath of that time. And some of the Israelite spies even said, and I love the, the Bible, how it talks about this, is they were so huge that we felt like grasshoppers in comparison, you know? And so if you had been one of the Israelites, if, if you had observed all of these incredible plagues that God had used to allow Pharaoh to let his people go, uh, God's people go, if you had watched a great sea turn into, a, you know, a paved, nice pedestrian trail to go through the sea, if you had eaten the miracle food, and if you had to lay down at night in a tent that glowed from a giant fireball in the sky, you know, what would you have said? Maybe you would have said something like, hey, listen, everybody, this is no different than the other challenges. These giants aren't any problem for us. This is no different than all the other challenges that we've faced. God told us that he would be with us, that he would evict these pagans from the land and give us this land. After all that God has done for us, we shouldn't be afraid. In fact, they should be afraid of us. And based on the Israelites' history, I mean, maybe what would have been a, a sensible conclusion? I love one of the young men whose name was Caleb, thought it made sense to move forward with the land that God had promised them. Numbers chapter 13, it says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do this thing, you guys. He says, But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. Have you seen them? They're stronger than we are. We look like grasshoppers to them, you know. And they spread, because of that, they began to spread among the Israelites a bad report. They began to lie about the land that God had promised them. And they began to spread a bad report about the land that they had explored. And I want you to just kind of think about what's happened here. God wants to give the Israelites a brand new home. And to prove that he can make it happen, God performs miracle after miracle after miracle uh, to help make sure that they understood that it was God who could do this. But there were people among them that were afraid. And they did all that they could do to sort of discourage the others from trusting God and moving forward. So they start talking about what it was like living in the good old days, back when they were enslaved in, the, in Egypt, you know, where they, you know, they didn't have to live by faith. They, they, they didn't have their freedom, but they kind of knew what was going on day to day, and they knew what to expect day to day. But then two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, joined Moses and Aaron and tried to convince the people of God to trust God and to move forward. But 10 of the spies said that they shouldn't trust God in this. Well, what happened? The people started beginning to talk about choosing a new leader. 
and returning to Egypt. If you can imagine, after seeing all those miracles, you just kind of look at this and kind of go, what? how could they be so, you know, dense? And then <laughs> later even, they talked about stoning their leaders who wanted to move forward for God. Can you imagine? It's because they were operating out of fear. I mean, that's what happens. They were operating out of fear. His fear does that kind of stuff to God's people too. But you know, the opposite of fear is not doubt. The opposite of, of uh, I'm sorry, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear, right? Doubt can sometimes, when I've had doubt, that actually fuels my faith because it's driving me to know more and to lean more into God. So doubt can sometimes lead to a stronger faith if you let it. However, fear never does that. Fear is the opposite of faith, and the Israelites were operating out of fear. They were afraid to move forward. All right, let's pause there for just a second. And if you call Center Point your home, then you know, if you're a guest today, uh, you came in the middle of this series called Imagine More, and we're on a journey to expand our ministry as a church here. But Imagine More is so much more about, you know, expanding beyond a building here. It's so much more than that. Imagine More is more of God in every single way. It's imagining more prayer in our church. By the way, did you guys start? We're on day three today. If you got your prayer guide from last week, if you missed last week, it's online. It's on our website. We also have hard copies, and it's, we're, at, we're calling the church to 15 days of prayer. We'll end it on February, February, March the 15th. And, uh, and then on March the 16th, what we're asking for is every single one of you like to come out here at 8 a.m. on March the 16th. And we're going to go around and walk around our building and we're going to pray for our church. We're going to pray for our leaders in our community. We're going to pray for our leaders in our church. We're going to pray for the people outside of these walls who need to know Jesus. We're going to spend time together. And this is where, like, we're picturing our entire church coming out here. So you guys just get that in your head right now. You got to come that day, whatever it is. But that's, that's the biggest thing that we, we really believe there's so much power in that. We want to be a church that imagines more prayer, more hope, more peace. I think we need more peace in our world today. I mean, even in our own community and people's lives. We need more confidence in the Lord. We need a stronger faith. We need more people who are finding Jesus. And our leadership team, our leadership team at Centerpoint believes that one of the worst things that can happen to a church is for the people to lose their desire to set big and bold goals, goals for the future. And we really do. I mean, we really believe, I believe this with all my heart, that we are under orders to lead this church to take bold steps forward for Christ. I like what the Apostle Paul says when he's writing to the Christians in Rome. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. With Imagine More, we're seeking to do some incredible things that go way beyond a building here. In fact, we want to launch churches. We want to plant churches. We want to be a church planting church that plants churches in our community where it makes sense, where communities are growing. Look at all the growth that's happening in Florida in general, and churches have not kept up with that. And so we want to plant churches locally here in Florida area, in areas that make sense for us. And we want to plant churches globally and globally. I want to continue to partner with churches like New Times Church in Kiev, where we plant churches in Ukraine, you know. But between us 
and those future realities are some giants. There's some huge challenges. And one of those is we need to grow our resources in order to be able to accomplish the overall mission and reach the vision for the church to be on mission to help more people move closer to God. When I read the history of Israel, I wonder oftentimes what was going on in their brains. How could they go against what God was promising them? You know, God had brought them out of slavery. That's no small thing. God led them to the brink of this huge opportunity. He gave them an incredible opportunity, yet they leaned away from it rather than leaning into the promises of God. And not only that, they began to complain about it instead of thanking God for this incredible opportunity. They began to turn on their leaders. Instead of celebrating the courage and vision, they were dying inside instead of living the dream. When I look at Old Testament, I think, why, you know, why do you think the history of the Israelites is so prominent in the Bible, especially when you think about how much they stumbled all the time, you, you know, how disappointing they were to God all the time? Why did God fill the Old Testament with so much of Israel's history? Well, in the New Testament, it talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, when it says, now these things, all this history, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And so we learn. The idea is to learn from our past. What is it that they say is uh, the fool doesn't learn from his mistakes? The, the smart man learns from his mistake, but the wisest of all learns from the mistakes of others? I mean, that should be us, right? Like, I don't want to, I look at this all the time. I look at mistakes that other pastors have made, churches have made, Israel's make, and let's say, let's don't make those mistakes. Let's try to be the wisest of all. And so there's, there's a great value that God gives to us by giving these real stories of real failures of real people in history to help us learn both the positives. There's positive things to learn from Israel. There's also some negative things to learn from Israel. And the Bible urges us to take warning from them. God wants his people to trust him. And that's a big lesson for us to learn when we look at the history of Israel. Now, how do we do that? How do we really trust in God? And by looking at this, this storyline in Israel, it's by focusing on our goals, not on the obstacles. That's how we do it. We focus on our goals, not on the obstacles. And the goal is that God has commanded us and wants us to go and help make other disciples, make other followers of Jesus Christ, help them to know his peace and love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. You think about it, with victory waiting just across the Jordan River, the Israelites, though, after all the things that they've gone through, they lost sight of their vision. They lost sight of their focus. Uh, and they just, all the only thing they could see was these potential problems. And it's not, it's not, it, I mean, it's understandable, you know, because they're facing giants. These weren't make-believe giants. These were real giants. How many of you guys have ever seen a giant? You know? I've seen some giants. People were a lot smaller. You look at some of these uh, uh, museums that you go to, and some of the beds are made for people like this big. Well, I've I, I hung out with a giant. I, you know, I'm a name dropper, so I love to na drop names here. This is a name some of you will know, but most of you won't. Uh, Sam Bowie. I, I got to play basketball with Sam Bowie. He was a friend of mine uh, for years and years in, in, in the 90s. And if you don't know, Sam was kind of a giant. He was seven foot two. Four inches taller than Bonnie's dad, who's sitting right back here, you know? If you saw him, a giant, you know, 
I was like looking up to Bonnie's dad. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, that's what happens. I got to play basketball with Sam Bowie. It was so great. It was after his claim to fame was he was he was drafted before Michael Jordan. And then after he retired from uh, from the pro basketball, he started coming to our church. He played on our church league team. <laughs> but he walk in the other church, the Baptist down the road, you know, they go, oh, they have a giant, you know. It was so great. But when I think about the history of Israel, I, I just wonder, you know, it's hard to know this, how, what I would think and what you would think. I just wonder if we had been one of the Israelites faced with the probability of hand-to-hand combat against one of these supersized gladiators with the stakes being my life, my family's life, maybe your life, you know, what would you have done? Would I have sided with Caleb and Joshua and, and said, you know, hey, let's take these giants on. I'll be your huckleberry, you know, whatever it is. Or would we be like the other 10 spies and say, no, 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 I don't think we can do this. You know, I'm afraid that cannot be done. I don't know what I would have done there because remember, remember, they, they didn't know the end of their story because they were living in it at the time. It's so important for us as we're looking at Scripture to think that way. They didn't receive a pre-release copy of the Old Testament to tell them how the story was going was to end. They didn't know that by not leaning into God, that refu- refusing to enter the land, that they would wander through the desert for years, only to have their children end up conquering the land without them. Think about this. Around, what is it, like 400 years ago, pilgrims came to our shores for our country they were a people of vision and courage. There was a hardness about them that was incredible. When you think about that, you look at the history of our pilgrims that came. Year one, they established a town. Year two, they elected government officials. Year three, the town council voted to build a road westward into the wilderness just five miles. Year four, a number of citizens wanted to excommunicate the town council for spending money so foolishly. I look at that, I think, that's just so ironic, don't you think? In just a few years, they went from a bold people with vision and leadership and dreams, crossing the ocean the way that they did, to just a few years later being unwilling to venture a few miles into an unknown forest. And church, if we're not careful, that's how quickly we can lose our vision. Like the Israelites We can celebrate, and as a church, we can celebrate all that God has done in our past and yet still refuse to walk by faith in our future. Helen Keller was once asked, is there anything worse than being blind? And she said, oh, yeah, it's being able to see but having no vision. Uh, So this morning, I'm calling our church to lift our eyes and focus on what God has in store for us as a church. It's huge. It's a huge vision. Uh, one of the things that I hear sometimes people gasp when we tell them what the project costs are, you know, they'll go, oh my gosh, it's like $4 million? What in the world? How can we do that? This is not a small task, you know. This is not an average project. This is an audacious vision. So I thought, you know, since fear can dilute vision, I thought, let's just take a look at some of the fears. Let's confront some of the fears. Just for fun, though, real quick, how many of you are afraid of snakes? (laughs) 
Yeah, that's good. That's good. You're not going to like this, probably. Uh, uh, the following, this is, I found this on the internet. Do with it what you want. Uh, it's from the manual from the Peace Corps of volunteers who travel to the Amazon jungle. It's an instruction on how to react if you are attacked by an anaconda snake. Keep in mind that the anaconda is the largest snake in the world. It's a relative of the boa constrictor. It can be 35 feet long and can swallow an animal that's 350 pounds, uh, you know. So if you're 350 pounds, you probably don't need this information. But, that, you know, <laughs> the, the rest of us, you know, you never know when you're going to be in the Amazon jungle. You just saw, I thought this is important. This is how the manual reads. You know, don't shoot me on this. Don't get up and leave. But just hang with me, okay? If you're attacked by an anaconda, don't run. The snake is faster than you are. Number two, lie flat on the ground. Keep your arms close to your side and your legs together. Number three, tuck in your chin. The snake will come. Number four, the snake will come and begin to nudge and climb over your body. I love this. Number five, do not panic. <laughs> Number six, after the snake has examined you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet end. It always swallows from the feet first. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Again, do not panic. <laughs> Number seven, the snake will then begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. I love this. This will take a long time. <laughs> Number eight. When the snake has reached your knees slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and gently slide it into the snake's mouth and suddenly sever its head. Number nine, be sure you have your knife. <laughs> I didn't make this up. I really didn't make this up. But I'm thinking that should be the first thing on the list. Like, you don't want to be like the snake's already up to here, and you're going, oh, dang, I left my knife. <laughs> what was I thinking? Just a couple things about that real quick that have nothing to do. There's no spiritual redemptive value quality to this story at all. But just in case you do get eaten by, uh, you know, get attacked by an anaconda, I'm just going with running. I'm telling you, I'm running. <laughs> but the one thing that I thought was just fantastic, <laughs> even if I was able to save myself from an anaconda like that, I know there's one of these instructions that I could not follow, the one that says do not panic, because I think that would be a perfectly good time to panic, a perfectly good time to panic. But sometimes our, as God's people, we'll panic in moments where there's no reason to panic. Proverbs 22 says the prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer it from, suffer from it. People have asked me, hey, does this give, does this, you know, does this give you fear, this project, what we're trying to do, this expansion and everything? Does it give you fear? On one level, yeah, of course it does. But not the way you might think. I'm not afraid about the money part at all. I mean, I'm really not. I'm just not. That doesn't bother me. I know God's got a plan for that. And, uh, and I know some of you guys are going to write a check today for a million dollars, and we're going to be set. So <laughs> uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't fear the project. I don't fear that it's the wrong thing for us to do. I mean, I think it's pretty cut, clean, and dried. I mean, I don't think there's anybody in this room that would say, yeah, I, I don't think we should expand and get bigger. I, don't, I haven't heard a single person do that. I think it's just, it's, it's obvious, you know. I, I, honestly, I'll tell you what my fear is, and this is just a selfish fear, 
I just kind of, and this is insecurity. It's born out of insecurity. Um, but my fear is, am I the leader that's capable of leading us 20 years into this great and imagining future of planting more churches? Am I, am I capable? Do I have the leadership prowess for that? And I kind of think about that sometimes. You just kind of question yourself and the insecurity on that. And then it kind of dawns on me, and the Lord speaks this to me, and sometimes you speak to me on this, is that it's not about you, Mitch. It's, it's about all of us doing this together. And so when we all join in and do it together, no, I don't have the fear of that. The fear is only my own insecurities and stuff. But I am confident that God has been at work in our decisions and he's able to make us succeed. I know the Bible talks about making sure that, you know, count your cost before you build a tower to first sit down and estimate how much it's going to cost. See how much money it's going to be. The Bible is very clear about being good stewards with your money. On top of stepping out in faith, he wants us to be good stewards of money. And we've done that. We've done that as a church. Um, and $4 million, you know, that's a, that's a lot. That's a lot. But in, in God's economy, it's really not. In God's economy, it's really not. Uh, one of the fears that I hear from, from some people, or one of the questions, I should say, is what happens? What, what if we don't raise enough money, you know? What happens if I make a sacrificial commitment here, and I really go all out on this thing, and what happens if we don't reach our goal, but we fall short? That's a good question. I think it's a very fair question. And I will just tell you, I, I don't know the answer to that for sure. I just can tell you this, that we've already talked to a lot of people behind the scenes. And I am so confident with the conversations that we've had that many people are going to make just the deepest level sacrifice of ever to, to, to make Imagine More become a reality. And we can do it. We can do it uh, with all of us doing it together. And our leaders are going to lead the way. Michelle and I are going to make the biggest sacrifice that we've made to center point. And, you know, uh, we've often said it's not about equal gifts, it's, a, it, it's, it's about equal sacrifice. And some of us have the capability to, to write the million-dollar check. Others of us, you know, $1,000 might be the same equivalent. So we're not, asking, uh, we're not asking for equal gifts, it's equal sacrifice. However, I think it's good to say if we don't raise the needed funds, if we don't raise everything, then I think you do what everybody does. We scale back the vision a little bit. We delay some of the things to make it work. We'll adjust some things, but things are going to go forward. We're going to keep moving forward. Either way, I will say this, that every single penny that you give will go to the project and improving our, our opportunity to reach more people with the facility. So I don't think there's any reason to hold back. I believe we're going to reach or uh, come very close to, maybe even uh, exceed what our goal is. What is our goal? I'll give you just a little snapshot. I'm not going to go into this much because I'm almost already out of time for the day. But tomorrow night at 6 o'clock, I'm going to uh, be going through this. If you didn't go to the last vision night, please, 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 one more time, come to that. Uh, so here's kind of our plan. We have phase one is to add on to our existing facility right there. You'll see that, to add on to our existing facility. Phase one is also to do site development work. We're going to change traffic flow here. Uh, there's a lot that I'll go into tomorrow. We added a whole lot more parking all through, down through here, down through there. We're losing a little bit of parking this way, but, but we're making up for it uh, triple time up here. And then the other part is the children's area. This is kind of what it, another picture of what it looks like here. So this is our current auditorium right here. That's and then where that's where we are. You're, you're sitting right. Actually, the stage is... <laughs> The stage is right there. You're sitting like right there. And so um, we, this adds 600. We have not add 600. It adds 300 plus seats. So we'll have 600 seats. 
So I'm going to go into that a whole lot more. Can you go back to the other one just for a second? Uh, I'll, I'll go into that a whole lot more tomorrow night. I won't take up our time, especially since we're out of time. And this, uh, but phase two is over here. So in the future, we want to build that way. We want to build a whole, a larger worship facility out there, turn this into a community space and turn this into a different uh, youth and facility, a whole lot more. I, there's so, I could talk for another half an hour on that, but that's tomorrow night. So I know our project cost on it is about $4 million. To do, to do phase one is about $4 million. And so that's what we're up against. We've got some goals and where we're going, what to do. Um, but that, that's kind of where we're at. One of the questions that I get is, uh, there's been some people have said, well, if I make this commitment, I want to make a big, huge commitment. We've already had some. I, I want to make a big commitment on this, but I want to know this. What's your commitment, talking about me, what's your commitment to staying here? And so I thought, you know, I thought it'd be good to go ahead and tell you that that I, I want you to know I have zero plans of going anywhere else. I absolutely, and it doesn't have, it, it's, not, it's not about Venice, Florida. I absolutely love this church, you guys. I mean, this has been the most fantastic ministry. I've been in some great ministries over 34 years. This is so different and amazing in ways that I just I can't even put my finger on it. I love it. I have a 20-year plan to be here. I don't know if God will give me that long to live or whatever, but I have a 20-year plan until I'm about 75, if you guys will have me. Uh, and, then, and then about that time, I want to transition, and we'll have another senior pastor that comes in. I want to transition, and I want to be coaching and mentoring all the pastors of all the churches that we've been planting. So that's my longer-term plan of that, um, you know, and so I guess what I was just saying is I guess you're stuck with me on, on that. A <laughs> couple quick things I would say, though, is also we have about 50% of our church or more come from a Catholic background, and if you add in the people that come from different denominations in there, it's even well over that as well. And I just wanted to tell you guys, if you've grown up in one of those churches, we do not have a denomination that supports this work of what we're doing. They don't not support it, but they, we don't have anybody that gives money to this from a higher level. We also don't have, so everything that we give, it's all internal within our church here. We also don't have a board that, if some of you may have known this or grown up in a church, where there's a, a group over, over that church that will pluck a pastor out of a church that's growing and plop them down over here in a church that's struggling. Or so. We don't have that, so, so there's nobody that's going to pluck me out unless God plucks me out and, and takes me to heaven or something. But, you know, like nobody's going to pluck me out and take me there. Another fear is that what if the economy collapses? There's a lot of uncertainty with our economy. Yeah, there is. Uh, but I can't remember a time during my adult life when somebody wasn't predicting an economic disaster for that particular year. Like, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what's going to happen. Only God knows what's ahead, and we've been pleading for His guidance. I just think it would be a huge mistake for us to delay our plans while we wait for the sky to fall. Speaking of the sky falling, here's a picture of the church in Ukraine. I get choked up about this. This is this is Pastor Andrew, and and they are in the midst of this war, in the midst of bombs dropping in Kiev. They're building their church. They're stepping out on faith and they're building their church. If there's any group of people who had more reason to say, I don't know, this, is this a good time? You know, I, I can just see, and he must be the most amazing leader because he's rallied people around in the midst of a war to build the church so that they continue to reach out. And it makes me look and just kind of go, this is not a big deal what we're doing here. 
What they're doing is a really big deal. And that's just cool to me because I have, I, I, I have this vision, and I don't know, this is crazy, and I, maybe I shouldn't even say this, but I have this vision that I want us to help finish that building at the same time we're building ours. And I just think that would be amazing. I think God can do some just amazing things. Just like the Israelites stood on one side of the Jordan, and they had obstacles. We have some obstacles But I believe by faith, church, absolutely by faith, that we can move forward and make an even bigger impact in our community in in who, who God wants us to be. Now, we've grown so much in the last three years. In the last three years, we've, um, we've tripled basically our church. We're probably going to hit 900 people today. We're right at that number, about 900 people between all three services. We've gone from two kids every other week to 35 kids every Sunday with 50 registered if they all showed up at the same time. We're going to continue to grow. It's been amazing. We've had half of our church in small groups and rooted. That's all the good news. The bad news is there's a whole lot of people left in our community that are hurting, that are broken, that are addicted, that are living with guilt and need to understand that they're forgiven through the grace of Jesus Christ. And God has given his church a mission to go out. Here's the words that Jesus said himself. Would you stand with me and would you read this with me today? Let's read this together in unity. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very age. Church, by faith, let's go help some people become followers of Jesus, and let's create more space for them. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask for you to go before us just like you did the Israelites. God, I ask that we would trust you, that we would step out in faith in ways maybe that we never have before with our finances, with our time, with our talents, with our treasures in every way. And God, I pray that we will reach the full potential of who you want us to be as a church and as a body who brings light into a dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you haven't come, I'll see you tomorrow night at six o'clock and if not i'll see you next week have a great week thanks for coming